So uh, this morning as we uh, open God's Word, we're going to be looking at the book of, uh, we're finishing up the book of Philippians. So we'll be looking at Philippians chapter 4 this morning as we read God's Word. And as uh, uh, Paul has been uh, repeating a theme that we probably need to hear because uh, uh, as we live in a world with changing circumstances, his main point, one of his main themes in Philippians, of course, is rejoice in the Lord. And uh, so you, you see that theme being repeated all throughout uh, the book of Philippians. But he's come to a point in his life where uh, I'm sure that they're asking some questions about Paul and what his state of uh, mind might be as he's sitting in prison and uh, dealing with some of the, the struggles that he's dealing with as, uh, as he's working through... Uh, Something that I think we all deal with, and that is contentment. And uh, so we're going to look at that this morning is uh, how did Paul learn contentment? And then the question is, are you, uh, could you say to yourself, I'm a person who's very content. I'm, I'm pretty content with my circumstances as long as things are going the way that I think they should. Um, well, that's, uh, of course, Paul's uh, concern that he wants, he uses every moment, almost like every situation, to teach something to remind people that there's something going on in his life, a deep satisfaction that he's found in his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at that this morning. And so uh, if you will, turn to chapter 4, uh, Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be reading um, actually beginning with verse 8. Because I think at verse 8 in some ways is, is what kind of a reminder as well as to what Paul's going to come back to here. But we're going to be reading from verses 8 through 13. So hear these words from God's holy and errant and fallible word this morning. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hungry and hunger abundance and need I can do all things through him through Christ who strengthens me and may God add his blessing on his word this morning let's pray fathers we come to your word this morning we do look to you for our for your help and for your strength uh, certainly father for your discerning uh, uh, father your discernment even as uh, you grant that we would uh, be enabled together as a body of believers to understand what it means, Lord, to live and to walk with an attitude of contentment uh, towards uh, the things around us, and yet, Father, to find that there is that sweet satisfaction that we know that, is in, that we have in Christ, knowing that he is uh, sovereign over all things and that all things work together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose and your plan. 
And so, Father, as we come before you this morning, we know that in this congregation, Lord, that there's needs all around us. And, Lord, we, we give you thanks for all the blessings, but we oftentimes, Father, don't praise you for who you are, uh, that you alone are worthy of our worship and our praise, our adoration. Uh, Father, that we look to you for uh, really more than oftentimes we, we don't give you the praise that we should, knowing that, Father, even our breath itself is given to us by the gracious hand of God. And so we ask, Father, this morning that you administer to each need, and, Father, that you would teach us those things that we need to know uh, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling that we have in Christ Jesus the Lord. And for it's in his name we pray. Amen. There's a story of a medical missionary uh, to Labrador, and it was in the late uh, 1900s, and he uh, was a medical missionary. Um, now, Labrador is northeastern Canada, and it's pretty far north, so you can imagine how cold it gets. But uh, he had received a call from, uh, or a uh, call for help, because there was someone who was very sick, and so he jumps on his dog sled, and I guess that's the way he had to go. And uh, he begins to, uh, to go uh, to the person to take care of him. And so he's riding his dog sled, and all of a sudden he looks back, and he sees that the piece of land that he thought he was on was actually broken off, and this, he's on this piece of ice, and it's floating. And, uh, of course, he's concerned, uh, as you and I would be. Uh, so he prays, and he asks God to, uh, to help him, and then he goes to sleep. And then uh, hours later, someone uh, comes and finds him. Uh, some rescue team comes, finds him. And uh, they question him, well, why are you sleeping? How can you sleep when such a, such a tragic situation is, is going on? And he says, well, I committed it to God in prayer and uh, realized that it's in his hands. And sometimes I think that we, um, you know, we worry about a lot of things and we uh, but here he had learned, he had learned something or he was, I think, sharing something that he had learned that he could actually uh, be able to sleep through a, a tempest such as this. And I think Paul is some way demonstrating to us the same kind of attitude as he sits in a prison cell and he's been arrested and it's been about two years. He's waiting to see if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. He's, um, he's in prison. In prison, you did not get 24-7 uh, care. You had to provide for your own food. You had to provide for uh, your medical needs. Hopefully, and most likely, Luke was there to help him for those things. Uh, but he had to be dependent. I mean, so if you were in prison, it wasn't like you were in a, an air-conditioned, um, you know, uh, high-rise apartments. You were, you, were, you, know, you were pretty much on your own. But Paul, in this particular situation, has been emphasizing how important it is for us to keep our focus right. And his focus, of course, is always to say, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He understands that his, his eternal assurance is resting in the hand of a sovereign God. And he understands what it means to be justified by faith. He understands that, that, uh, that God has, has provided for his salvation, but also that God's providing for his care as his son, um, as he's a son of, of the living God uh, through Christ Jesus. And so he's, he, he understands those things. And so now he's trying to give, you might say he's using this opportunity to say thank you for the gift 
But even if I didn't get the gift, I'd still be content. It's, it's, one of those, it's kind of one of those things where you want to, to show appreciation for something. But at the same time, you don't want people to think, well, I know you wanted to help, but you couldn't at the time. And you, but he wanted them to know that his contentment was really not in his circumstances, but in God himself. And so that's kind of Paul's thinking here. You, it's, it's kind of, uh, you have to remember, Paul, is, Paul has been through a, a series of struggles in his, in his life. And we're going to look at a few of those this morning. But, uh, but when you see Paul wanting to share with them the, the secret that he has in his life for what's doing, being content. I mean, how hard is it to be content? Uh, I could say, well, I'm content if I have enough We'd say finances, our finances are okay. I have enough money in the bank to pay the bills. Uh, I'm content when things are going pretty well and people don't, I don't have any problems at work. I'm not struggling with anything. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, if I'm, well, if I, if I have food on, on the table, I'm, I'm content. Uh, but how hard is it? To be content, it, it really is, isn't it? I mean, you think about it. We're not born. We do not get preloaded software when we're born, do we? And it's called contentment. <laughs> In fact, what does a child do when a child is, is you know, has been fed, the child's in bed, and it wants something? What does it start doing? It starts screaming and yelling. That, now, maybe some of that's not natural, but other times it isn't. But I think of one of my grandsons. He was thirsty the other day. He'd eaten something that was very... Uh, that made him very dry. And so he's, he's, um, he's thirsty and he says, you know, he, he, he says, well, I want to pray. And, and so he says, he says, God, I want, I want six slushies. <laughs> and then he says, and I want them right now. And we kind of like, that's not the way you pray. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, we, so, so he was already showing, he's already showing at that age that he has the sense of, I want something and I want it now. And that's the human condition, isn't it? There's this sense in which we are, we, we think that God in some ways kind of should be there. We know that he's there for us, but we want him to do things for us that makes us feel comfortable and, uh, and so forth. But Paul's, so Paul, is, Paul has been dealing with this and he's dealing with a church that understands and that really loves him. And so they've been trying to, uh, they send him this gift and Paul's saying, I want to acknowledge it. I want, to know, want you to know that I've received this gift. And I want you also to know that even if I had not received it, or maybe if I'd received it and someone else, one of the soldiers had taken it, he said, I'd still be content. Uh, the, the idea there is that Paul's saying, the word contentment just means sufficient. Think about it. Could you say that you are sufficient? That everything you have, it's, it's been, I'm, I'm, I'm sufficiently provided for. Um, you know, and, and other times Paul uh, addresses their generosity. Like in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, this particular church, you have to remember, was probably his, I would say it was probably one of his ideal churches because it was planted through his suffering and his struggle. But they were also a church that experienced poverty. They experienced uh, trials. And in 2 Corinthians 8, they say this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given to the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. 
For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So, they're, they're, so his church, struggling as it is, in a culture that's very anti-God, very much like our, our culture today, very much antagonistic to Christianity, uh, but even more so in the sense that uh, people were persecuting Christians as a, that was a norm uh, at, in, in Philippi. And that yet this church was begging to help with relief of the saints in Jerusalem. And so they're begging Paul to take these funds. And so this is the church that sent him a gift. But he wants them to know how much he appreciates the gift. It's kind of like, thank you, but I'm really, he's saying, notice what he says, I rejoice in who? I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice in the Lord that something at length you have revived your concern. The the word there, revived, just means that something was dormant for a while and it became alive again. It's like a a fruit tree. In the wintertime, it's what? It's dormant. What happens in the spring, you see the leaves blossom and then you see the flowers and then all of a sudden you see the fruit, right? Right? And so, this, so, their, so their, their help or their gift to Paul was somewhat revived through his, um, as they hear about his condition in Rome, as they hear about some of the problems that he's, he's facing. But what is Paul doing as he's facing those trials? He's witnessing to the soldiers that he is actually, he is, he's chained to. The, the gospel is going out into the Roman uh, guard and to the house of Caesar even. So, so Paul is, is dealing with his circumstances by learning to see that those circumstances have been sovereignly planned and guided by a wise and a good and a loving father. And, and, and that's hard to do sometimes. You know, when we're going through it, we, we think, well, if God really, really cared in my situation, he would do this, right? God, we, we think that we some way would, we would do things differently if we were in that position. And yet, God is all wise. Uh, his timing is perfect. Uh, and Paul is wanting to say, but I've learned something and I want to share this secret with you. So notice next the verse, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned to, in whatever situation, circumstance or situation, I am to be content. So Paul's saying, I'm content. I'm content with being full. I'm content with having less. In fact, in verse, notice verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. That word brought low is, in other words, I know how to be humbled. Paul's situation had humbled him. Uh, think of the things that, uh, you know, here's a man who, who had, uh, he had a, before he was saved, you know, chapter 3, he talks about his, rep, his resume, doesn't he? Remember, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a Jew, uh, he's a Pharisee, uh, and he had all of these things on his resume that from a human perspective were pretty impressive. And then he tells us that he considers it all done. Because in no, for no, to know Christ was much more important to him. And so Paul has learned, he's saying, I, but I, there's something else about contentment. 
Uh, see, the Stoic back then would say, I'm, the word content would be that, the idea of self-sufficient. And Paul had learned that his sufficiency was not in himself. It was in Christ. So he's using a term that they used to describe, a, a Stoic was a person who tried to live life and without too much emotion. Not too many highs, not too many lows. Uh, uh, you know, as a young person, I remember growing up thinking, okay, when you go through struggles uh, in, your, in your home or whatever, uh, you know, you get emotionally, you, get, you react, right? So as you see highs and lows, you say, well, how can I just moderate them? How can I just keep everything kind of just steady? I don't want to be an extremist. I don't want to overly get excited. But I also don't want to get too down and I don't want to get depressed. Uh, so the Stoic would say, well, you know, you just kind of remove your emotions. You just kind of, you know, you just say, okay, well, it's, it's not going to bother me either way. It's not going to bother. I'm not going to get too excited, but I'm also not going to get too depressed. But Paul is not saying that. Paul's saying, no, God's given me those emotions, those situations. I'll struggle through those, but in those struggles, I will always know that my help is from the Lord. See, that's, that's the difference. Paul understood that the Lord stood with him and was with him. So Paul's kind of transforming, if you will, he's using a, a term they use to say, no, my sufficiency is in God. In fact, we're going to look at that here in a second, just uh, where Paul, Paul says, my God, he says, my, God's grace is sufficient. He uses that word, the similar word. It's a different, it's not a, it doesn't use it in the same uh, it's not a noun in that particular case, but he's saying that God's grace is what? It's sufficient. It brings contentment. What does? Well, God's, God's grace. God's grace is what I need for all of life. And so that's, he's understanding that. So, so Paul's, uh, Paul's saying, I've learned this. And here's the apostle saying, I had to learn it. How did he learn it? He learned it through experience. The situations that we face in life are intended by God to teach us to learn to be content. That doesn't mean to say you never try to uh, advance yourself. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you just kind of like acquiesce about life. It doesn't mean that you uh, just, you know, just kind of, well, whatever, whatever comes will come. That's not what Paul's saying here. What he is saying, though, he's saying that whatever situation he's in, whatever situation, whatever thing happens in his life, God has taught him to be content. And he's learned that lesson. Uh, and he's learned that lesson not only in prison, but he's learned that lesson through rejection, through weakness. And probably the, the one thing that none of us like as a Christian, I know I don't like it, as, even as a pastor, I don't like weakness. I don't like to be felt like I'm weak. I, I can't do anything, right? We don't want to be in that position because that's a position of neediness. And yet that one position of need is the one place that God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For what? For theirs is the kingdom of God. Neediness and weakness we look at as, as being something that's negative. And Paul looked at it as something to, to reveal to, in, to us how much we need God. See, we, we don't live independently of God. 
Our circumstances are not intended to make us self-sufficient that I don't need God's help and God's grace. So Paul's learning this as an apostle, and then he's saying this, this is something that you and I need to learn. He's not saying that this is something that, and he's saying that this particular thing that he's learning is something that every Christian needs, every believer needs to learn how to be content. And he doesn't say just that he had learned to be content, but he had learned the secret of being content. So what's the secret of contentment? Um, well, Paul's going to mention some of those things here in this, uh, this passage. But the, the mystery religions would say um, they had an initiation rites for uh, if you were a part of, um, you know, a particular group. They had initiation rites, and they had a secret um, uh, initiation rite, and only the person who was being initiated knew what that, that, wor- that was. And so... Uh, but Paul's saying that the secret, this, this word secret just means mystery. He's learned the mystery of contentment or the secret of contentment. And that secret has been given, has been revealed to us, to everyone who's in Christ Jesus. That that's something that God intends for each of us to have. To know how to be abased and to abound. I mean, it's easy to, uh, to be content when everything's going well, Right? But my experience as a Christian, and I think most of us would, would agree that most of our experience is that that doesn't happen naturally. And that life throws a lot of curveballs. There's sorrows, there's sadness, there's struggles, there's sickness. You lose a loved one, you, you, know, you go through life. That's, that's, that's what the cycle of living in a fallen world is like. And in that process, he's saying that he had learned had found strength in knowing the secret of finding his contentment in Christ. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is probably the, the one place where I, I, you see it uh, revealed most, most of, uh, in Paul's particular situation. And notice uh, what he's saying here, that... It, uh, and we'll jump down to, uh, so Paul, first of all, Paul had, 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 had seen a vision. God had given him a vision of the third heaven. And, uh, and in verse 7, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. That word content. For my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, you read that passage and you go like, what? <laughs> well, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying that, that in, in his weakness, when, when he was at that place where he basically could do nothing, he said he learned contentment because in that weakness, God's power is perfected in, that, in those situations. That, that, that's when God's grace 
is it's giving you that sense of, in other words, that sense of contentment. Notice that he even uses the word again. I am content with what? Weakness. Anyone want to raise their hand, I'm content with weakness? <laughs> or, or I'm content with insults? I don't like to be insulted. I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, you know, uh, or, or, or we hear someone say, well, you hit me on the, you know, you hit me on the cheek and I'm not going to turn my, I'm not going to turn my cheek the other side. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, after that, there's, there's only so much. Uh, but he's saying, I'm, I'm content with persecutions and calamities. And, you, and you, read, you read other passages in 2 Corinthians and you see some of the things. He said he was beaten five times. I mean, that's 195 stripes that he probably wore on his back. He even said in Galatians, he says, I bear the, the schema, the, the scars of Christ. And it says he was, he was beaten three times with sticks. He was left for dead. He says, I was shipwrecked. I was, he said, I spent a day and a night Floating around in the ocean. And you're going like, this guy went through it, didn't he? He says, but I'm learned to be content. He's not saying that, hey, I don't, you know, I just love. He's not saying I love suffering. He's not saying I, you know, this, this, this just really gets me going. No, he's, he's saying he's learned to, to lean on the sufficiency of Christ in those moments. You know, it's something about, there's something about pride that's at the very heart of, of sin. You know, you saw it in the garden, you see it in the garden, but it's, it's not left. I mean, the, the essence of our sin is, is us wanting to be self-sufficient, wanting to be able to, you know, it's like, Lord, I'll talk to you when I need you, but otherwise life's going pretty good, right? But at the very heart of your sin and my sin is our pride, and that, that, just because we come to saving faith, doesn't all of a sudden that pride doesn't go away. Now there's, and God humbles us. And so those circumstances that he brings us into is to teach us how truly weak we really are. That we are desperately wicked to a certain degree. In other words, we've been redeemed and we've got a new heart, but there's still a lot of pride in that heart. And what does God do through our life and through our situations and circumstances? He humbles us. And Paul's saying, I've learned to be humbled. <laughs> and in that humility, I've found strength. And I've found God's grace sufficient. And I've found that one thing that I have that no person can take away from me is that relationship I have with God. Think about it. When we leave this earth, we take nothing with us. There's no U-Hauls. There's nothing behind it. All we take, we, we come into the world naked and we leave naked. But the one thing that you can't take away from a believer is this, his relationship with the one and true and sovereign and holy Lord Jesus Christ. That can't be changed. And Paul's saying, I've learned that my sufficiency is in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he even says that. Notice his next verse there in chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do what? All things through Christ or through him who strengthens me. Where did he get the power to deal with the circumstances in his life? Think of what you're going through right now. Not because I don't know every situation. I know things that I struggle with, but think about, it. you know, I know that, 
in life, there's, there's whatever you're dealing with, whether it's something at work, whether it's something in marriage, whether it's something in losing a loved one, whether it's in a relationship with a neighbor or a friend, whatever that is. Paul says, I can do all things. Now, he's not saying I can do just, he's not, given, he's not saying I can just do anything. He's not saying I'm Superman and I can stop a speeding train. <laughs> or he's not saying, you know, I can, just, uh, I can just name it and claim it. Like, you know, the, t- today, the, today's world's that. Basically say, well, you know, if I say it's true, it's true. And it's like, what? That's a big fiat. <laughs> I mean, you, you can't just call something true it's not true. But Paul's saying, I can do everything that God's called me to do, whether it's to be abased or to abound. And I can do that because I am in Christ Jesus. See, if you're a believer, you are in union with Christ. And being in union with Christ then means that, that you are in him. It's, and so it's not like, it's, it's, you know, you, your, your union and communion with Christ is, is, is when God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. And Paul's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, a lot of people put that up in a weight room and, you know, to motivate them to lift weights. But I don't think that's what Paul's intending here. But he's saying that when you deal with whatever you're dealing with in your life, you can always go to the Lord and on your knees and say, Lord, this is what I'm dealing with. And you've told me in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says there, he says there, he says that, he says, be content with what you have, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's presence, Christ's presence in those moments, that he gives us the strength to deal with what he calls us to do. And, and, and that means that whatever struggle that you have, I mean, I mean whatever, whatever you're facing right now, you can know that he's bigger than that circumstance and that situation, that problem, whatever it is. Now, later on, Paul says this to the, to, the, to the Corinthian church. He says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you have all sufficiency. And there's that word again. <laughs> in all things at all times that you may abound in every good work. So everything that God's called you to do as a Christian, you can't say, well, you know, I'd give that to somebody that really, I mean, you know, that, I, that's, that's not for me. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, we can just do anything, but we can do anything that God's called us to do. Because God's power is perfected in weakness, and God gives grace to the, what, the humble or the proud? It says, God is opposed to the proud, gives grace to the humble. What do we, I mean, why does Peter say that in 2 Peter 3.18? Grow in what? Grace. No, I want to grow in my self-sufficiency. I want, to be able to cl- I want to be able to claim that I did it, right? And God's saying, that's pride. Why do you have to always have to claim it? Why do you have to make what, what, what is, what is What's that all about? Um, where are you finding your sufficiency this morning? You know, Paul, uh, I think, uh, you know, remember the, the writer in, uh, I think of the psalmist in Psalm 73. He's, you know, he's, he's ending the wicked. Why? They seem to be getting ahead. 
And you look around and you could say that in our society today, you could look around and you say, Lord, I, I, I feel like ASAP a lot of times. <laughs> you know, uh, you know the, the wicked seem to be prevailing at times. And you remember how it just was tearing him apart. He says, until I went into the house of God and I saw the bitter end. But then he said something else, right, right as, as he's talking about this. He says, you know, I was thinking like a beast, not like a man who understood that God's in control. And then what does he say? He says, whom do I have in heaven but thee? And whom do I desire on earth besides thee? My heart and my flesh, it's going to fail. But who's the strength? He says, but you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. That's the portion that can't be taken away from you. If you are a believer, the one thing, remember Mary sitting at the feet of Christ, the one thing that can't be taken away from you is the very thing that the world needs. And that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that can't be taken away. But the problem that comes to us with contentment is this. It's hard to accept weakness, isn't it? We want to be able to figure everything situation out to the point that sometimes we we get frustrated with life and we just you know we're 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 beside ourselves with worry and frantic and and discontent and and oftentimes that discontent turns into what murmuring complaining accusing god (laughs) accusing neighbor accusing you know someone else Uh, you know the hymn that uh one that was one of my favorite hymns is, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. It's written by George Matheson. But uh, at the time when George Matheson, wrote, before he wrote that hymn, uh, he was engaged to be married. And uh, in that engagement, he was, uh, uh, his, he, um, right before he, they were planning to get married, he went blind. And his fiancee said, I can't be married to a blind man. And she broke off the engagement. And he was struck. He was just broken. Uh, his, his sister uh, learned Hebrew and Greek to help get him through seminary. And, uh, and on her wedding day, as he was reflecting on what God had done in his life, he wrote, oh, love that will not let me go. And you read the words of that hymn and you just go like, wow, he understood what it means that Christ is sufficient. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience this, those low places in my life. I'm going to experience those places where it's like, I don't know if I can make it any longer. But in those moments, remember, the Lord said, I will never, what, leave you nor forsake you. He is sufficient. And it's that sufficiency that Paul's talking about here. He had learned that in the midst of all of the pain and the suffering and even all the, I mean, defamation he was receiving from other preachers even in Rome who were basically, they were, they were accusing him of, of different things. And yet he could say, but at least Christ is being preached. Now that's hard to take, isn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine? When your name's getting, getting slammed and you're in, you're in the slammer and your name's getting slammed, that's, that's, that's two things. But here he was learning uh, that his sufficiency was in Christ. Um, 
as I was thinking about this, this one thing I wrote down, it's by David Pallison, but uh, before he died, he gave an uh, address to uh, Westminster Seminary. And Pallison, by the way, David Pallison is just, a, he's a Christian counselor, but he, I highly respect a lot of the things that he wrote. But he wrote this statement, and it just stuck with me, and it, and it, and it, it rang a note as I was thinking about this text. And he said this, weakness is a most unusual door into all the ways God enables us to be strong. Think about it. When you're weak, do you look at that as a door of opportunity to show that God is strong? And he goes on to say this um, in terms of uh, what we should boast in. Boasting in... For us to boast in our weaknesses, as, as he's, he's basically, he's, he's talking to a bunch of pastors. He says, for you to boast in your weaknesses as a doorway through which the strength of God enters your life. That happens in ministry. That happens in life. It happens when we, when we face a funeral and we lose a loved one. Uh, it happens in the struggles that you go through in life and in marriage and in all those different ways. Whatever you're, you're, and so it's in that moment of weakness is that door of opportunity to show how strong God is, God's grace is in your life. Don't, 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 don't allow the circumstances to dictate to you how you should react. But you should, in those moments, to say, but regardless of how difficult and how bad or how we were and how good they are. That my sufficiency is in Christ. It's not, it's not, in, it's not in stuff. It's not in, it's, not in, it's not in power. It's not in possessions. And it's not even in those circumstances. It's in Christ. Because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that you would bless it to our hearts this morning. And Lord, teach us to be content with such things as you provide in our life, even the circumstances, and that we might bring you glory, honor, and praise, both now and forevermore. Amen.